Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me to Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24. We are living at a unique and exciting time in history. The end of the beginning of the end. We're living in the last days, according to the scriptures. And yet, despite all that God's word tells us about the last days in the end times, the world is blissfully unaware, tragically unaware of what could happen at any moment. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard uh, would tell a parable about a theater where a variety show was proceeding. Of course, this was in the days before uh, actual movie theaters, but a, a variety show was taking place in this theater. And every show, every performance that transpired received greater and greater applause and more and more excitement and enthusiasm from the audience. But suddenly the manager rushed forward and said, I'm so sorry to interrupt the show, but the theater is on fire and you need to find your exit immediately. And in this parable, the audience thought, this is a very amusing turn of events. This must be part of the show. This must be part of what we came to pay for. And instead of listening to the warning, they were entertained by it. And the more he pleaded with them to run for their lives, the more they cheered and drowned him out until it was too late. The fire raced through the whole building with the fun-loving audience in it. And so concluded Kierkegaard, will our age, I sometimes think, go down in fiery destruction to the applause of a crowded house of cheering spectators? Now, it shouldn't surprise us when the world is surprised. The world who mocks God's word if they're not ignorant of it. But what is sad is how many Christians are sleeping through the signs of the times, sleeping through the birth pains. I hope that as we study this incredible sermon together, now uh, tonight, part three of our study of the Olivet Discourse, that we will have a sense, a greater sense of urgency, but also a greater sense of excitement for what is in store for us, even as we are more and more urgent concerning our mission to warn the world of what is in store for them. So we are looking at Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Of course, 
Uh, I don't want you to feel like you're stuck in a pinball machine, so we're not jumping back and forth uh, every other verse, but uh, we are going to spend most of our time tonight uh, probably in Matthew 24. We'll, we'll see how that plays out as we go through this uh, text together. But let me just remind you what we've seen so far over the last few weeks here in this message. This is given to us just days before the crucifixion. This is what was on Jesus' heart and mind, the destruction of the temple, both past and future. And as he was leaving the temple and the disciples pointed out the brilliance and beauty of the temple structure, the physical building of the temple, Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 24, verse 2, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, one of the most important pieces of real estate in all the world, the place which Jesus will literally physically return to, and when his feet touch that mountain again, it will split the mountain in two. You say, I can't wait to see that. Well, you will. If you're, in, if you're in Christ, you'll be with him when it happens, Revelation 19. But as he sat down on this in incredible mountain, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? And, and, not just what will be the time of the destruction of the temple, but also what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And what we see in this chapter and also in Mark and Luke is Jesus is giving us a broad stroke picture of what the end will look like. But he starts with the first destruction and he ends with the final destruction of the temple. And we see in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, that this period of time, which began in AD 70 and which now is still continuing and will continue until the second coming, Jesus calls the times of the Gentiles. This coincides with the description that Daniel gives in Daniel 11, 33 through 35. The events that will bridge the gap between Daniel's prophecy of Antiochus Epiphanes, which was, as we saw in our study of Daniel, was fulfilled historically and literally. It will bridge that time period roughly until the time of the final antichrist then jesus gives us this broad picture which which right now is almost 2000 years and counting and then he zeroes in on this one period of history which we're now living in that he calls the birth pangs how do we know that we're in the birth pangs well not only do we see the birth pangs all around us but more importantly we see the fulfillment of isaiah chapter 66 where God promised us that he would reconstitute the nation of Israel and he would use the nations of the world to do it and he would complete it in one day. And that's exactly what happened in 1948. But the most, exa most exciting part of that is Jesus says, after I do that, after I give birth to the nation of Israel, unlike a normal birth, the birth pangs will follow the birth of Israel, not precede it. So Isaiah 66, God tells us that when Israel is, is rebirthed, 
the birth pangs will follow. So we know from 1948 until today and counting, we are in the period of time called the birth pangs. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, look at verses 6 through 8 as to what uh, will uh, characterize the time in history that we're living in. Ye shall hear of wars, rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. You are not in the end of the end when these birth pangs are taking place. For nation shall rise against nation. That word nation is literally ethnos. Ethnicity will rise against ethnicity. Ethnos against ethnos. And kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences. And if you think COVID was the last pestilence, it's not. If you think monkeypox is the last pestilence before the, before the end times, it's not. Those pestilences are going to continue to mount and continue to multiply as we hurtle towards the end of time as we know it. Earthquakes in diverse places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. They are not the end yet. But then, after the birth pangs, the end will begin. And so Jesus talks about this time period that he calls the end. So now we, we've got the time of the Gentiles, and then we got the birth pangs, and now Jesus is saying after the birth pangs, now we're in the end. The end of what? The end of the prophecies that he's talking about. The end of what he's prophesied would happen back at the beginning of the chapter. The destruction of the temple, that happened in AD 70 the first time, but then also his return, his second coming, all of that, is part of what he calls here the end, the end of these prophecies. And so then he even takes that time period, the end, and he breaks it down even farther. And now we get down to a, a very small period in history as it, as it relates to us, three and a half years. Three and a half years called the Great Tribulation. Now we refer to the seven years as the tribulation that's probably not the best terminology to use it would be much better to just use daniel chapter 9 daniel's 70th week the 70th week is that time period that we're talking about but it's the second half of that week that will comprise the great tribulation and what will trigger that not a sign not a sign but an act of a traitor, an act of betrayal, and an act of unprecedented blasphemy. The abomination of desolation will be the trigger of the great tribulation. Look in verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand when the Holy Spirit says, uh, hit the pause button and uh, make sure that you understand what I'm saying to you. We better stop and, and understand what God is saying to us. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. When you find out about the abomination of desolation. There is no time to go get your jacket 
to go change your shoes, you need to run. And you need to run now. Now, as I said last week, there are people who think that happened in AD 70 when Titus walked into the temple and the temple was destroyed. They think that was the abomination of desolation. Incorrect. Incorrect. And one of the several ways that we know that is the fact that when Titus destroyed the temple, there was no escape. It was already too late to run. The city had been surrounded by, by the Roman army uh, for an extended period of time before that happened. And so there was no escape. By the way, just a little prophetic gem hidden in this text. Jesus said this almost 2,000 years ago. But notice that he said when this event happens, everybody in the city is going to know about it. Everybody in the city is going to hear about it. In real time, wherever you are, if you're on the rooftop, how do people on the rooftop know what's going on in the temple? Everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to get the alert on their phone at the same time. Maybe by then, we don't know how long it's going to be. Maybe by then the phones will be embedded in our skin. We don't know. I know they're working, they've already got that technology. That's where, they're, that's where they're trying to push all this, right? So that you are... The, you are the app, and they can upload things into your, even your DNA. I mean, that's, that's what they're talking about. I know that sounds like science fiction, but it's science fact now. It's science future. That's where they're headed. But isn't it amazing that Jesus said that everybody in the city is going to have a chance. They're going to they're hear about it, and when you hear about it, don't head home. Because they're, they're going to know. And by the way, I would add, don't take your phone with you because they'll be able to track you if you do. You run and you hide, and you get where you need to go. Very fascinating, but should not surprise us when we know the power of our God and how He knows all things beforehand. And so that moment will be the trigger that starts the abomination of desolation. The abominational desolation will be that trigger that starts the Great Tribulation. Now I want tonight to talk a little bit about the Great Tribulation. Of course, we're not going to say everything that we could say, Lord willing, we're headed to the book of Revelation within, I don't know how many months it's going to take before we get there, but we are headed to the book of Revelation. But the reason that we, I, people, really, I, even the, my first year as your pastor, there were several people that said, are you going to do the book of Revelation? Are you going to talk about the book of Revelation? When are we going to do the book of Revelation? Well, we are going to do the book of Revelation. It's, it's vital. In fact, it's, it's a book that even if you just read it, God promises you a blessing. So it's a, it's a powerful book, but it's the last book in the Bible. And if you really want to understand the book of Revelation, there's a whole lot of groundwork that we got to lay first. There's a whole lot of, of uh, laying a foundation that we have to, to get first because it, it's important that we understand this. I, I know I've said this before, but it, it's very important that we understand the New Testament explains the Old Testament. The New Testament expands the Old Testament. The New Testament interprets the Old Testament. But it does not replace the Old Testament. It does not negate the Old Testament. It does not reinterpret the Old Testament. There are many, many prophecies that have already been made 
about the end times. And if we parachute even into this chapter, and we just parachute into Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse, and we ignore everything the Old Testament has already said to us about the end times, we're going to get ourselves confused, which is what a lot of Christians do. Because they start, it's like when you walk into the middle of a movie, or some of you, maybe you watch a, a serial TV show where there's an ongoing storyline and you just drop into season three, episode six, and you're sitting there with somebody who has been watching since the, the pilot and, and you've got all these questions and they're like, shh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to watch, I'm trying to watch. And they're like, no, who is this character? What, what's going on here? If you don't have the context, you're going to get confused pretty quickly. And, and worse, you might think that you're not confused and then you're really confused. So we need to understand that the Old Testament has already put a, an incredible framework around the end times. Starting in Genesis 3.15, but uh, continuing in Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, uh, Zephaniah, Zechariah, uh, David in the Psalms. There are many, many things that have already been said about the end times. And what Jesus is going to do, just as we saw already with the, this terminology of birth pangs, he is not starting from scratch. He is using the Old Testament that, by the way, he wrote, right? God wrote it. He's using the Old Testament as his basis for much of what we're going to see. And so what is going to happen? It, again, we, we certainly don't have time to, to cover everything, but I just want to look at some of the highlights that Jesus gives us here in Matthew 24, of what the, the last three and a half years after the great abomination, during the great tribulation, leading up to the great return of Jesus Christ, what is it going to be like? Well, let's pick it up here in Matthew 24, where we left off. Verse 19, Woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, but pray that Ye pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened." Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the, the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, and with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect." from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now let's stop there for a moment. Let me give you five things that Jesus highlights here in these verses. 
And again, if you want some further detail, you can look at what he says in Mark 13 and Luke, tw- Luke 21. But first of all, unparalleled tribulation. Unparalleled. Great tribulation, that is unparalleled tribulation. Unparalleled, global, and notice, since the beginning of the world. Now, friends, what happened in A.D. 70 to the nation of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple, was an epic act of God's judgment. Why did He judge them so severely? Because they had rejected His Son, Messiah, as a people. Just as He prophesied was going to happen. They crucified the Son of God. Now, he laid, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. I lay my life down for you. He died for your sin. He rose again victorious. That's why we can be here tonight and say that we're forgiven of our sins. That's why we can say we have eternal life because of his grace that we receive through faith. But what happened in AD 70 was not worse than the global flood of Noah, friend. This time in history will be worse than the flood of Noah. It will be worse. You say, how can that be? The whole world was destroyed. Yeah, but it was destroyed in a matter of hours. This is going to be three and a half years of wrath. Three and a half years of torment. This isn't going to be a swift act of judgment as it was in the days of Noah. Now, there are other ways in which it will be like the days of Noah. We'll talk about that in the future. But Jesus said this is going to be unlike anything else since the beginning of the world. That includes the global flood. And if anyone tells you this was fulfilled in A.D. 70, they are crossing that verse out of their Bible. They've taken a a Sharpie and they've scribbled it out. This is worse. What is coming is worse than even what happened in the days of Noah. Since the beginning of creation, God says, this is is unparalleled and when we get eventually lord willing to revelation 14 15 and 16 we're going to see those final judgments it's going to be bad before that it's going to be hell on earth before that the first three and a half years of tribulation are going to be god's wrath but the last three and a half years are going to be unprecedented wrath because the first three and a half years are wrath to try to get people to repent And once you've made that decision, when the abomination is set up, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, once you receive the Antichrist as your God, then I will send a strong delusion and you will not get another chance to repent. The great delusion, the strong delusion, does not come after the rapture. 2 Thessalonians 2 says it comes after the abomination of desolation. For three and a half years, God's going to give judgment after judgment after judgment and say, repent, repent, repent. And those who refuse, even with all that God has told them, it will be like it was in the days of the first coming of Jesus. Jesus who came exactly as God said he would, exactly where God said he would, exactly at the time period God said he would who rode into Jerusalem exactly as God said he would, on a donkey, on the exact day that God said he would, and they still rejected him. And as Isaiah prophesied it, and Jesus repeated Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus said, 
you reject this with all of this that I've done for you, raising the dead, raising Lazarus from the dead, opening the blind, uh, the eyes of the blind, and you still reject me, now you can't repent. Now you can't repent. And so that's what's going to happen in the tribulation. Now notice this next thing he says here, the days will be shortened. The days will be shortened, for then shall be great tribulation, verse 22, and except those days should be shortened. Now, this is a phrase that comes, uh, that we see in our English Bible anyways, out of the Old Testament a couple of times in the Psalms. Talk, uh, the, the psalmist talks about his youth being shortened or, or his days being shortened. But that Hebrew word that is used there literally means to be shortened. This Greek word means literally to be maimed, to be cut off, to be cut off. Now, I'm struggling with how to understand this if it means number of days. Because God has told us it's going to be three and a half years. So, is God saying that he will shorten a 24-hour day to a shorter time period? Something to consider. Something to consider. Is God saying that it's going to be so horrible that unless I make a 24-hour day a shorter day period, and the sun's going to rise and set faster than you've ever... You say, well, that, that couldn't happen, that couldn't happen. Well, uh, well, hold on a second. Nothing's impossible with God. And didn't God stop the sun in the days of Joshua or Moses? Excuse me. Joshua fighting the battle. Moses, lift your hands up. As long as your hands are held up, Moses, that sun ain't going nowhere because I will stop it in the sky. You understand all that God had to say? I mean, he's spoken into existence. Why does, that, why does that challenge us? Why does that challenge our faith? So I suggest the possibility that when God says here, I will shorten the days, that he is talking about not the number of days, but literally the days will get shorter. I don't know if it'll be a 20-hour day. I don't know if it'll be a 16-hour day. I don't know. But the days will be shortened. It's hard to know exactly what he means here because this Greek word that he uses, it's only used in all of the New Testament. It's only found here and in Mark in this context about the days being shortened. But it does mean uh, literally to be maimed. Now, the third thing. Unmatched levels of deception. Unmatched levels of deception. deception. Now, we've always had false Christ. We've always had antichrist. Since the second century, 1 John chapter 4, the spirit of Antichrist is already here, John says. And there's already many Antichrists that are running around. But there will be multiple men who rise up and who claim to be the Christ before the abomination of desolation. Christians are... It's not going, when I say Christian, I mean those who are saved after the rapture, those who are saved during the tribulation, and there will be many people who will repent and will receive Christ. There's going to be 144,000 sealed missionaries that are going out to win the lost. 
Because God is not just a God of wrath. He's a God of grace and mercy. And He wants the grace and mercy to be received. But as this time period happens, there's going to be confusion as to exactly who the Antichrist is at first. It's not going to be like in the books and in the movies, okay? Shocking, I know. So what does God do? Well, in Revelation 13, He gives us, not us, but those who will be living here, He gives them a clue as to how to figure out who it is. And that's the number of His name. The number of His name will add up to 666. So you do the math. And there's a lot of names that the that, that Christians of that day are going to have to look at and go, well, I know he looks like he's, like he's going to be the guy, but hey, uh, his, num his number doesn't add up. The name doesn't add up. But there will be no doubt. There will be no doubt whenever the Antichrist goes into the temple and declares himself to be God. There will also uh, be celestial signs we read about in Matthew 24, verse 9. The sun and moon will be darkened. Stars will fall from the heaven and the sky, Mark, uh, Matthew and Mark will talk about these celestial signs. Powers of the heaven will be shaken. Things are going to be happening in the sky that are going to bring terror on the earth. People tell us, uh, the quote-unquote experts tell us that it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when the earth will be hit by, by an asteroid. We know that uh, there's a prophecy of Wormwood hitting the earth, bringing great destruction during the time of the tribulation. But there will be multiple celestial signs. You know, uh, you've heard, right, that Bill Gates wants to literally darken the, darken the sky. Like, they, they because we've got to save the planet. We've got to save the planet, so we've got to put stuff up in the clouds to, to darken the sky to try to keep all the radiation out. Like, like, like th this is stuff that people, not just, like, People living in, you know, in the basement. Uh, not that, not that there's anything wrong with living in your mom's basement. I lived in my mom's basement. Okay, I'm not, um, I'm not knocking that. I, but I'm saying this isn't just people with a blog online. This is one of the wealthiest, most powerful men in in the world who wants to blot out the sun. These things, uh, some of these things, God is going to allow man to accomplish as judgment, and some of them He's going to do Himself. Uh, now let's look here at the fifth thing, and that is the great, or that is the great return of the Son of Man and the gathering of His elect from all over the earth. The gathering of His elect. Who is the elect? Now remember, Matthew sixteen, Jesus said, "On this rock I will build my church." and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Are we elect? Absolutely. We talked about that this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. If you're in Christ, you are chosen. You are elect. But there is no church yet. When Jesus wrote this, there is no church. Who is the elect in an Old Testament context? According to the prophet Isaiah, Israel mine elect. Israel mine elect. The first use of that term by Isaiah is of Jesus himself, the elect one, capital E, capital O, the elect one, Jesus, 
the chosen one, the Messiah. But then Isaiah goes on to say that Israel is God's elect. Israel is God's chosen people. Chosen for what? Chosen for salvation? No. Chosen to accomplish his purposes. Chosen to receive his promises. Chosen to be the people from which and over which he will rule the entire world. God's chosen nation. Now we are chosen too, and that's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 that now in Christ the two have become one and we, we don't have to become Israelites to become close to God. We can come to God and be saved just as dirty old Gentiles. We come to God. We don't have to convert to Judaism. We don't have to come under the law of Moses. We just come to God on the basis of grace through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our forgiveness and our eternal life. Period. That's it. We, in Christ, are also chosen. But the elect here is Israel. And notice, who's going to gather the elect? Did you see who's going to do the gathering? It's not going to be the Lord Himself when He descends from heaven gathering the elect into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's not what he says here. He says, when I get back to the ground and my feet touch that mountain and I split the mountain and I've, and I've done what I came to do, I'm going to send my angels around the world to gather Israel, to gather the elect, to gather those who are in hiding, those who are true Israelites but they're not there in the day of they're, they're in hiding all over the planet. My angels are going to go find them. My angels are going to gather them. See, this is not us. We're not going to be gathered by angels after Jesus comes to earth. We're going to meet the Lord in the air before he comes to earth. The Lord himself will call us because we're not just his elect nation. We are his chosen bride we're his bride. We're the bride of Christ. And so we will be gathered together. And that's, that's a separate event. But as we said before, the, the, the rapture of the church, when Jesus writes this, when, Je when Jesus says this, uh, Matthew writes it, when Jesus said this, there was no church yet. Jesus promised the church, but the church had, didn't exist yet. It was still a mystery. It was still hidden, hinted at in the Old Testament, but still hidden. Now, what will precede the end? What will precede the end? I want to just for a few minutes talk about two great signs of the end, and we'll expand on these as we get farther into this sermon that Jesus preached. But let me stress as we talk about two great signs of the end that these are signs of the end, not signs of the Great Tribulation. Times of the Gentiles. Israel is reborn. Now we're in the birth pains. But the end is not yet. Now we get to the end. What's part of the end? The great tribulation, the abomination of desolation to the, to the second coming. But how do we know that the birth pangs are ended and we're in the end times? What are the signs of that? What are the signs of that? That we are in the end. There are two things that have to happen first. Two things have to happen first. One of them, I believe, has already happened. And that is the sign of the fig tree. 
Look with me in Matthew 24, verses 32 and 35. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now let's stop there. I want you to go with me. All the way back to Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. As I understand it, Jesus preached the Olivet Discourse on a Tuesday. The day before, the day before Matthew chapter 21, here's what happened verse 18 now in the morning monday morning as he returned into the city he hungered and when he saw a fig tree in the way he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever and and presently the fig tree withered away and when the disciples saw it they marveled saying how soon is the fig tree withered away and jesus Answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now, we don't have time to talk about the prayer part here, but here's the sign part. Jesus had just the day before cursed the fig tree. And we find out from another text that it's Tuesday morning that they realize the tree is already dead. So now that Jesus cursed the tree, a day later the tree is already dead. And now hours later, hours later, Jesus is saying, I want you to pay attention to the sign of the fig tree. They knew what he was talking about. They just lived it. It was fresh in their minds. It was a miracle. Learn the lesson of the fig tree. What lesson, Jesus? Well, uh, it's going to put forth leaves. And when it puts forth leaves, you'll know the summer is nigh. Well, wait a second. Didn't you just curse the fig tree? Didn't you just say it'll be gone forever? Well, yes, that tree will be gone forever. And those people who rejected Messiah when he was there and God sent them a blinding and a hardening of their hearts as Isaiah prophesied, their hope was gone. Their hope was over. But God had already promised to rebuild and rebirth the nation. The same nation, but new people. The fig tree is going to be birthed again. Now, in Old Testament prophecy, the fig tree often represented God's blessing and God's people. Let me just give you two examples of this. There may be others, but... uh, First of all, Jeremiah talks about this. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13. I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. Thou shall, there shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Who is the fig tree there? Israel. Israel is 
the fig tree. We see this also in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 1, verse 7. He that hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree, he hath made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Israel is the fig tree. Jesus said Israel is going to Israel that has been cursed. Israel that just yesterday morning I cursed. And that tree is dead by Tuesday. The tree was already dead. It was dead when he said it was dead. But they could see it was dead by the next day. Because it, was, it wasn't just dead. It was like rotting dead. Jesus said that fig tree is going to blossom again. And when you see the blossoms, when the leaves are tender, you're going to know you are in the final generation, the final generation before all of these prophecies are fulfilled. Every one of them. Now, what are the leaves and why, and why are they tender? Let me give you two possibilities. We cannot be dogmatic about this, okay? I'm not setting dates. Can't be dogmatic about this. But here's what I, do, here's what I can tell you. One possibility is what happened in 1948. The prophesied reestablishment of the nation of Israel. Jesus had just cursed the fig tree. One, one, possibly two days earlier in the same week. That could have happened on Sunday. There's some debate on exactly on what day that happened. I may have my dates mixed up a little bit. But the Isaiah prophecy was fulfilled. Isaiah 66, 8, the prophecy was fulfilled in 1948. And so I think the most likely interpretation is 1948. The fig tree, the leaves are tender. The fig tree lives again. You are now in the final generation. So the question becomes, what is a biblical generation? Let me get to that in a second. Here's the second possibility. Some think it could be the prophesied recapture of the Temple Mount. Now, we talked about this uh, back in Daniel, I think it was Daniel chapter 5, when we looked at the uh, prophecy of the writing on the wall, the, the hand that wrote on the wall, and uh, King Belshazzar, when he saw it, his knees were literally knocking. <laughs> and his judgment was coming. And that finger wrote, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Aparsin. And I shared with you uh, then what I'll share with you again. Dr. Ken Johnston, in his book, Ancient Prophecies Revealed, believes there is a double fulfillment here. The inscription uses names of weights and money. It's not just words, but ancient words were also doubled as uh, monetary terms as well. And so many, many tekel a parson, uh, when you, you look at them not just as the words that they mean, but as the monetary values they represent, you come up with 2,520 geras. And he wrote this, is it only a magnificent coincidence that if you add 2,520 years to the time that King Darius granted the Jews control of the Temple Mount in August 25th, 518 B.C., you arrive at the exact date of June 7th, 1967, when Israel regained the Temple Mount God had promised them. Is that a coincidence? You might be a coincidence theorist. I don't have enough faith to believe in coincidences that big. God has a prophecy embedded, even in that prophecy, of the time period it would, there would be between the time when King Darius gave the Temple Mount back to them 
to the exact date when Israel won it in 1967. So some people believe, well, maybe it was when they regained the Temple Mount that the prophecy begins. But why does it matter and why is it important? Because again, Jesus said this generation will not pass until all these things take place. So the debate is, what is a biblical generation? doesn't matter what I think a generation is. What does God mean by it? Some people say Psalm 90 gives us the indication. Psalm 90, Moses wrote that in Psalm 90, verse 10, that a lifespan is 70 to 80 years. So it must be 80 years. If we go 80 years from 1948 and we add 80 years, we're right there. We add it to 1967, we're right there. But I don't agree with that particular interpretation. Let me give you one more verse. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into the second sign, by the way, tonight. I'm just going to tell you what it is, and then we'll talk about it next week. But go with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. God is making a promise to Abraham and Abraham has a vision. He falls into a deep sleep and horror of great darkness fell upon him. He has a nightmare in Genesis 15, 12. And God said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, speaking of Egypt, and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve, Egypt, will I judge, which he did. Exodus chapter 12 and following. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the, notice, in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. Now this is the first time the Bible uses the term generation. Four generations was 400 years. So a generation is the lifespan of the people alive when they're when they're born everybody that's born today is part of today's generation and this generation will not pass until everybody born today is gone so i was born in 1973 my generation will not pass away until the last of us who were born in 1973 is gone that's a biblical generation now you can roughly round it to about 100 years Maybe, maybe a little longer. But it's 100 years. So if, if, if the budding of the fig tree is 1948, 100 years would be 2048. I mean, I'm not great at math, but I think I can do that math. Everything going to be finished by 2048, is it? That means seven years of tribulation, that seven, Daniel's 70th week, that's got to start, start by 2041, right? 2022. And that's just the outset. That's just the extreme. We don't know that God's going to wait until the very last person dies. What we do know is Israel is reborn. They're back in the land. That prophecy is fulfilled. We are in the birth pangs today. I believe the fig tree has budded. I believe that the Lord will accomplish all of this in our lifetime or in my lifetime or in my son's lifetime.
depending. We don't, none of us knows that we have tomorrow, right? Now, let me give you this as we close. And we're not going to uh, take the time to have a, an invitation tonight. I've kept you a little long tonight. So um, if you have a need, I'll be here after the service. I'd be happy to pray with you, meet with you. Our, uh, we have a couple of our deacons are here as well, Elmer and Scott. And uh, they'll be happy to meet with you, pray with you if you have a need. But let me just close with this. There's another sign that God told us would happen before the end. It's in Luke chapter 21, verse 36. We'll talk about it next week. But Jesus says simply this. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus said, there's going to be an escape. He doesn't explain what it is here. He doesn't unpack it. Now, Lord willing, we'll see next week that Isaiah talked about it. Zephaniah talked about it. It wasn't explained. It was what Paul calls a mystery. But the mystery has now been revealed by the Apostle Paul. There will be an escape. There will be an escape. There will be a way to get out of all that is going to happen to the entire planet. Now, how do you escape something that's going to affect the entire planet? You're going to have to get off the planet. You're going to have to get off the planet. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, God, for the promises of prophecy. And thank you, God, for the warnings of prophecy. And God, we pray that as we uh, study your word in this series, God, that our uh, not just our understanding would be expanded, God, but our awe of you, our love for you and our devotion to serving you would be expanded by how much you love us and by how great your grace and mercy is. We love you and thank you. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. If you have a need, I'll be here after the service. Hope to see you Wednesday night. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, Give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.